Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. God is good all the time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, happy to be in the house of God this morning. Amen. It's always it's always different for me when I do when I do worship. Trying to get back in my in my groove here, um, but man, praise God! Um, I got an important message today, man. Important. I mean, every 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 week is an important message, but this is a this is an important message. I believe that will resonate with some people, with many people. I think with the whole church, and I see some people out today, so um, you can feel free to. Send them the message. For those who don't know, we got a podcast, Numa Church Podcast, and you can catch all the messages there, but somebody needs to hear this message. Amen. And uh, I want you to go with me, if, you're, uh, if you have your Bibles, to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Praise God for what he's doing at Numa Church. Amen. Had a lot of, lot of announcements this morning. I hope you caught all of those. <clears throat> John, chapter 13. We're going to be reading a little bit this morning. Uh, 1 through 18, if you would, go ahead and stand with me. And I'm reading out of the NLT. And if you have it, say, I have it. Amen. And it says this. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simeon, uh, Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would t- return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has been bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. And this is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Uh, Now you know these things. God will bless you for doing them. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word that you have spoken over your servant, my God. I pray that I would just, I would deliver it, my God, directly from your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, be on my lips this morning and also be on our minds and our hearts, my God. I pray against any distractions this morning, Father God. I pray that we could give you our undivided attention, my God, so your word can pierce through the depths of our hearts, my God, and transform in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. I entitled the message this morning, Beyond Betrayal. 
beyond betrayal. We've been talking a lot uh, about just kind of practical things that we as Christians deal with. We've been talking about pride. We talked about uh, bitterness, talked about struggling. Um, And uh, today I want to talk about loving through betrayal because we know that Judas betrayed his friend, Jesus, with the kiss. Betrayal has got to be like the, one of the most hurtful feelings in the world because you can only be betrayed by those that you've allowed in your circle, right? Like if you don't entrust yourself to someone, then you're not giving them that opportunity to betray you. It means that, that the person that you thought was watching your back was only watching your back so that he could stab you in the back. And, and betrayal is one of those things, man, that is really hard to forgive because it runs so deep. You might, you might be able to forgive hateful words said in an act of emotion. You might be able to forgive somebody for a mistake they made, an offense they made against you. But betrayal, that's a different story because it takes a lot of humility to be able to forgive betrayal. And yet the love of Jesus goes beyond betrayal. That's why he was so special, man. That's because he loves like no, no other. And, and I know that you know this because you're Christians and you read your Bibles. But God calls us to also love beyond betrayal. This is going to be a hard word for some of you. <laughs> I don't want you to listen to my words this morning. I want you to listen to the word of God. And this is what the word of God says. At the end of John chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I, meaning you are to replicate the love that I have shown to you. You are also to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When people quote this verse... And they quote, we quote it all the time. And many times, the way that we interpret it is incorrect. We interpret it incorrectly. Because we take this verse to mean that people will know that we are Christians by the way that we love the world. And as, that is 100% true. The Bible teaches that. Obviously, God so loved the world and we are, we're to love our neighbors and we're to love our enemies and we're to love those that are against us and we're to love members of other religions, right? We're to love them. But this particular verse is not talking about loving unbelievers. This verse says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for each other. If you have love for one another, and in other words, our love for each other is the thing that testifies to the world that we belong to Jesus. That means that when a person comes into the church for the very first time, knowing nothing about Jesus, knowing nothing about religion, knowing nothing about the church, they will see the amount of love that we have for each other and be inspired by that. It will let them know that something is different about this group of people because they love one another. See, you can, you can go into a room full of people that you don't know, and you can probably be successful at picking out the people that are married. Why? Because a married couple is, is going to show you unique signs of affection between themselves that they're probably not going to show to another person. They might be holding hands. 
They might uh, have their arms around each other. They might, you know, be doing a little bit of the public display of affection, the PDA. Uh, They might be doing some weird facial gestures that would be really weird if they were siblings, right? You know, you know by the way that they love each other that they're probably married. And so this is what Jesus is trying to teach us in John 13. And it's so important that he does this whole thing, this whole demonstration of washing the disciples' feet to demonstrate how we are to love and how we are to serve each other. And I don't, I, personally, I don't think that this message is preached enough. I think that there is, there's been a focus these days, especially uh, about loving the lost and loving the unchurched because, you know, for a long time, I think many churches did that very poorly. I think for a long time, the church didn't love the outcasts. We only kind of tended to ourselves. And I know many of my sermons have been about that. Last week, Michael's sermon was largely about loving the world, right? And I, and I think that today, there is starting to be more of an awareness that churches, that Christians need to be more loving and showing more grace uh, to those that are not Christians. And I'm so happy to see more and more churches like our own involved in, in community outreach and serving and loving their communities. But you know what? I've also met Christians who have a heart for the outcasts, whose heart goes out to the broken families, who have a heart for LGBTQ, but they despise Christians. Oh, they can't stand Christians. They can't stand Churches, they haven't been able to find a church to commit to because they can't bring themselves to love the people in the church. They love God, they love the widow, they love the orphan, but they hate their own people. And Jesus is saying, this is a major part of what it means to be a disciple of mine. And so I don't think that this gets preached on enough. And this is why you get people in the church competing with one another. This is why you get strife and you get gossip and this is why you get jealousy and this is why you get so much division in the body of Christ because we're not genuinely loving the way that Jesus loved. The chapter starts by saying Jesus had loved his disciples. You with me, right? Man, I need you to be with me today. It says Jesus had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. Read that again. Jesus had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. I want you to think about what that means for a second. Through all of the work that they did, ministry is hard. Anybody been in ministry before? You know ministry is hard. Work is hard. People are hard to deal with, and ministry is a people business. You do, you do ministry for the service of God, but you do it towards people. You do it to people. And so you have, to, you have to deal with people, and you have to talk to people, and you have to care for people. And some people you just don't care for. And it's, it's, it's hard, and you have to deal with ugly and disrespectful and different levels of immaturity, and that can make you frustrated. Jesus loved his disciples through that, through their ministry. Through all the misunderstandings, through all the confusion of who Jesus was and what he was trying to say... Through all of the disciples, uh, the the drama between the disciples of who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Through all the frustrating moments that Jesus had with his disciples and Peter because of their lack of faith. And you're just not getting it, Peter. Through all of that, Jesus loved his disciples. He never stopped loving them. He never gave up on them. He never left them. He loved them. And verse 1 
says this, and now he loved them to the very end. Ministry time was over. Three years of Jesus, that was it. This was now the culmination of all that Jesus had worked for. Jesus was about to enter the most trying moment of his life, knowing that his best friends wouldn't be with him at the cross, knowing that his closest companion, Peter, was going to deny him three times, knowing that another close friend, Judas, would betray him. Jesus knew full well of all that was about to go down. And what was one of the final acts that Jesus did before his arrest? It was to wash the feet of his deniers, his fleers, his doubters, and his betrayer. And these weren't even haters. These were his friends. If anyone knows about church hurt, it's Jesus. And I don't say this to lessen your church hurt. I've, I've been hurt by the church. People, people don't realize that the pastors get beat down by the church that they serve. I mean, I've heard some things. I've heard comments that weren't said to me directly. I've been hurt. We can't, we can't just leave because we got to keep serving through the church, through the hurt. And I know many of you have been hurt by the church. Some of you might be at this church because someone hurt you at the previous church that you were at. And, and I, already, I already know that some well-intentioned people are going to come to me after service and be like, hey, pastor, maybe you shouldn't, you know, scare people away like that. You shouldn't scare the visitors, you know, to let them know that they're going to be hurt by the church. But, but I, I got to tell you, it's not even a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. Because Christians are human. And we still act out of emotion and we still act out of anger. And some of us haven't learned how to control what we say and how we say it. But the truth is, you will probably be offended by one of your brothers or your sisters in Christ. You're going to get your feelings hurt. I'm a grown man and I get my feelings hurt. You're going to get your feelings hurt. You might feel unappreciated. You might feel unseen. You might, you might do all of these things and nobody even gives you a thank you. You might sharply disagree with somebody in theology or policy with the people that you do ministry with, but you are called to love through the hurt. You're called to keep going. Get hurt. It's going to sting. But keep going and love through it. It's a hard word. It's so easy to preach. So easy to preach. So easy to say amen to. But living it is another story. Jesus poured himself into these men he, he, he communed with them, he sat with them, he taught them, he loved them, and yet every single one of them heard him. Every single one. Now, how many of us know that Jesus never told his disciples to do anything that he himself was not willing to do? So if Jesus tells his disciples to do something, it's because he's willing to do it himself. Now, the washing of the feet... That was one of the lowest acts of service that one could perform. This was something that slaves did for their masters. It was degrading. But Jesus, somebody say Jesus. Jesus, the divine king of kings who sits on the highest throne, gets down to the lowest level of humanity to wash the feet of his disciples. And I, I, don't, I don't know which one comes first, humility or love, but I know that they both go together. If you don't have humility, you, you, your love will only be present when you're the one being served. If you don't have humility, if you don't have love, 
It's not going to be genuine. And Jesus had the humility and he had the love to wash the disciples' feet. And immediately, and probably appropriately, Peter has an issue with it. Peter always has an issue with everything, right? Peter was that guy. He's the one to speak up, very opinionated. Hold up, Jesus. You, you, ain't about, you ain't about to wash my feet. You're never going to wash my feet. Remember when he said, far be it from you, Lord, you will never go to the cross. Peter had uh, this, this mentality that masters should never serve. That masters should never be humble. You're Jesus. You're not going to go to the cross. You're not going to die. You're Jesus. You're not going to wash my feet. Now, Peter's heart was in the right place because he recognized the lordship of Jesus. Who am I to allow the perfect one to touch my filth? He doesn't deserve that. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve to come down from heaven's throne and become human. He didn't deserve to struggle with his creation when he himself was the founder of all creation. He didn't deserve to be beaten and hated and pierced with nails and a crown of thorns. He didn't deserve to take my sin and and place it on himself on the cross. Jesus deserved none of that. But here's the lesson that we miss. Sometimes you will have to love people who don't deserve your love. Sometimes you will have to serve people who don't deserve your kindness. You will have to perform acts of service that you believe to be beneath you. And so Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, if you can't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? If if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you, you can't do this. Because if if Your mentality, Peter, is that the master should never serve. If if your mentality, Peter, is that the master is the only one who should ever be served, what's going to happen when you, Peter, are the master? What's going to happen when I leave to heaven and I have given you the keys to the kingdom and when I have told you that you are the rock upon which I will build my church? What's going to happen when you're the master? You're going to feel entitled. Jesus says, a master is not greater than a slave. We don't have masters. We don't have slaves anymore, but we still operate in, in a system of hierarchy. You got bosses. You got subordinates. You got business, business owners, employees. We have ranks in the military and the government. Even in churches, you got, you got senior pastors, associate pastors, executive pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors, leaders, administrators. But none is greater than the other. And one of the problems in the church today is that we, we all feel, all feel entitled to something. All of us. That's, that's, that's the American church. We all feel entitled to something. Leaders are entitled. Pastors are entitled. Visitors are entitled. It's like everybody is asking the same question, and it's the wrong question. How can the church serve me? How can my leaders serve me? How can the pastor serve me? And Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 10, to outdo one another in showing honor. It's such a simple verse, but you got to live by it, man. You got you to highlight it and then highlight again and highlight again. So you can't even see it anymore. And then you got to buy another Bible and you highlight it again. Like highlight that verse. Romans 12, 10, outdo one another and showing honor because we haven't gotten it. 
The church has not gotten it. And it's been a long time. It's not Numa Church. It's not a Numa Church problem. It's the church. It's a universal church. It was a church in Corinthians. It was a church in Galatians. It was a church in Ephesians. It was all the churches. It was all about what can be done for me. And this is the mentality that Jesus has to correct Peter. Peter, if you don't allow the master to serve your feet, you have no business being the master. Because when you're the master, you're going to feel entitled. Outdo one another in showing honor. Did you highlight it? Highlight that verse, man. I ain't playing. Outdo each other in showing honor. This means that I never have to worry about showing honor to myself. That's what it means. I shouldn't have to feel the need to appreciate myself when nobody says thank you. I shouldn't have to feel the need to recognize my work and my accomplishments. Pastor, uh, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Danny, this should, this should mean that you shouldn't feel the need to talk about everything that you're doing in the kingdom of God. We should be honoring you. We should, we should be taking note and saying thank you and appreciating you. This is what Jesus is teaching. Let love be genuine. That's what Paul says. Let love be real. Let it not be fake. Let it be real. It's not genuine when you can't love through the pride. It's, it's, it's conditional. It's not genuine when you can't love through your own pain and your own moments. It's not genuine if you can't love through the bitterness, church. And here comes one, one more. You can't, it's not love if you can't love through betrayal. Has anybody been betrayed before? Damn, a lot of y'all. I believe that God is calling, I believe that God is calling all of the love out of you this morning. Like I really, I mean, I really just, I felt this message. I believe that God is calling all of the love that you have inside of you, that you have, you have, you've allowed doors of pride and doors of jealousy and doors of bitterness and doors of betrayal to kind of hold back all of the love that you have to give. And God is calling those doors open today in the name of Jesus. That door of pride needs to rise up and it needs to release all the love that I know is inside you. But you have to be able to forgive. You have to be able to let go. You have to be able to heal. You have to be able to love through the hurts. And if you can't do that, we are not loving like Christ. And if we're not loving like Christ, what are we? What are we? We're called to be the extension of the love of Christ. And if we can't even love our own, it's going to be real hard to love everybody else. Hmm. But Pastor, you don't know what she did to me. You don't know what she said behind my back. You don't know how much it hurt me. You don't know how much I cried. You don't know. And I don't know. But I, and I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm just saying this is what scripture teaches. To love be beyond the most hurtful situations imaginable. And so Jesus, he gives the lesson by washing the feet. But then he models it for us. Be careful what you preach. Because God will make you live it out. 
Be careful who you point the finger at like I just did right now. Because God will make you live what you preach. And this is what happens right here with Jesus. John 13, 21. It says, this is after he just washed the the disciples' feet. He says, after these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Man. Have you ever had to, I don't know if, I don't know if this, anybody could relate, but have you ever had to serve someone that you just can't stand? Like, 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 like maybe, maybe there's even a little bit of, a little bit of hate there. Like you're just one ounce away from hating that person. Like you really don't like that person, but you're having to get to a lower level to serve them. And how that makes you feel and how, how it makes your heart pound and you get anxious and you get sweaty and you, just, you get nervous because you don't, you don't want to serve this person because, man, of what they did to you. And Jesus, I imagine, maybe had a little bit of that moment because he had gotten down on his knees to wash the feet of Judas and his spirit is troubled. His spirit is troubled. Jesus went into the house this night knowing that he was going to perform the lowest act of service for the one he knew was going to betray him. I don't care who you are. If you had the foreknowledge of Jesus and you knew the intentions of someone who called you their friend, you wouldn't even invite them to the dinner. Right? See or no? How many of you would say, Judah, Judah's about to do what? Oh, forget him. I don't need him. I don't need that drama in my life. I don't need that toxicity in my life. And you would block his number and you would unfriend him from Facebook and and you would unfollow him from Instagram. And if you're feeling extra petty, you would put all his business out there too. And you let all your homeboys know and all your homegirls know that Judas is the worst. Don't go near Judas. Don't trust Judas. But Jesus didn't do any of that. What did he do? He washed the man's feet. The filthiest soul present, washing the feet. And he was troubled. And then Jesus says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. He didn't say, he didn't say who. Notice that. He just says somebody. He didn't rat Judas out. This is John uh, 13, 22 says the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. They didn't, they didn't, nobody suspected Judas. He hid his duplicity very well. And one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus who he was speaking. So that disciple leaning back against him said to him, Lord, who is it? We always want to know who it is, right? We always want to be nosy. Who's, who's going to be the one, right? Well, Jesus, man, Jesus, man. And so, and so, uh, where, where am I? Jesus said, uh, it is he whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to them. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So the way that this story is, is told, it kind of suggests that Jesus was answering the question um, with, with the morsel of bread, right? 
Um, but the disciples still didn't suspect Judas. So I, I don't know exactly how it went down, but, but this gospel and all the other gospels say that Judas was not suspected. This means that Jesus did not publicly announce his betrayer was Judas. Again, we had the foreknowledge of Jesus. We let everybody know. And the Bible says that, that Satan entered Judas. Now, what's so powerful to me, and if you're not listening yet, I want you to listen now. What's so powerful to me is the fact that this wasn't just a human moment that Judas was having. This was deeper than that. See, Jesus could have cast out Satan and rebuked Judas like he had done so many times with Peter. Remember when he said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter? He rebuked him. He's always rebuking Peter. He's always casting out devils and demons. If, if Satan, if Jesus knew Satan had entered Judas, why not cast him out? It's because Judas had already made up his mind. His heart was hardened. It was no longer temptation that Judas was dealing with. This was a premeditated decision that Judas would turn in Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. There was nothing to rebuke. There was nothing to forgive because there was no repentance. Judas had his heart hardened. He committed blasphemy against Jesus. See, when Peter sinned, that was a, that was a human moment. That was a human moment. And, and Jesus saw in Peter a repentant heart when he had that conversation with Peter. And he saw a low, a low-spirited Peter because he knew what he had done to his Lord. And Jesus restored him because he saw his heart. But Judas made it his mission to become an enemy of who, his, of who was once his friend. That, that's true betrayal. That's like evil stuff. And what gets me is that G Jesus knew all of this was going to happen. He knew that Judas was going to harden his heart. He knew that Satan was going to enter him. And he never treated him differently than the rest of the disciples. Are you, you getting this? I mean, if you're like me, man, I, I just, I'm blown away by the love of my Jesus, man. Blown away. I mean, I, I read this story and I just, I, I, you might be sitting there just admiring the beautiful love of Christ, but you're also saying, yeah, I could never do that. But I, I'm not preaching this message this morning just to highlight the love of my God. I'm here to tell you that Jesus called you to love this way. And if he has called you to love this way, it means that there is a way to love this way. And it might be reading a little bit of pride. It might be uh, needing to work through some hurt and through some bitterness. And you might need to start healing by forgiving those who have wronged you, those who hate you. You might need to start practicing some servitude and stop thinking that you're entitled to things. Christians are so impressed sometimes by the way that they love Jesus. But Jesus isn't in love. Uh, Jesus isn't impressed until he knows how much you love Judas. You, you can't. Jesus, you know how much I love you. How much can you love Judas? Yeah, I'm, I'm a good God, bro. I died for your sins. You better love me. That makes sense. But Judas, the one who was with you every waking moment, the one who called you friend, the one that you entrusted things to, the one that you said things in confidence to, can you love him? Even though he's about to betray you. 
Church, there might be a Judas in your midst. There might be a Judas with the people that you hang out with all the time. There might be a Judas on the other end of that relationship. And let me tell you, church, that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Judas, he doesn't need to be rebuked. He doesn't doesn't need to be fought. He doesn't need to be hated on. He needs to be loved. He needs to be served. You need to outdo him in the way that you show honor. If he gives you none, you give him all. You see, Judas didn't stick around much longer after this. We all know how the story ends. He ends up feeling so bad about what he did, but he never, he never repents. I don't think that Judas really ever felt bad for hurting Jesus. I think that he just became disgusted with who he had become. I think he hated himself. He made himself out to be an enemy. Like he, he just, some scholars say that, that, that Judas was actually a zealot. You know, the zealots, the zealots fought against the, uh, you know, the, the Roman Empire. And so they believe that Judas never believed in the mission of, of Jesus. That he never, they, they, they never, especially when he found out that he wasn't actually going to overthrow uh, Rome. So Judas was always with Jesus for the wrong reasons, but he stuck around. And even when Jesus was revealing more of himself that I am the son of God and, and, and me and the father are one, Judas, Judas didn't say anything. He stuck around so that he could betray him. And so I don't think that there was ever a remorse from Judas in hurting Jesus, but I do think that he hated who he had become. And so we all know how the story ends. He becomes angry with himself. He hates himself and ultimately leads to his own demise. But you know what can never be said about Judas? He was never hurt by Jesus. He was only ever loved. Judas didn't have any ammo to throw at Jesus. Don't give your Judas ammo to shoot at you. Where she says, well, she ain't perfect. When I did her wrong, she cussed me out. When I hurt him, he retaliated. When I cheated on him, he cheated on me. Don't don't give anything to your betrayer. Just love him. Just love him. Just love him. Because a true Judas will be exposed sooner or later in your life. Never give them a reason to hate you. Uh, Jesus, I think he describes this pretty well in his Sermon on the Mount. Um, Chapter 5 of Matthew, he's talking about the people who only want to take from you. They want, they want to take you a mile. Go with them two miles, he says. The response is always love. Someone slaps you, give them the other cheek. If they ask for your shirt, give, give them your coat. Or if they ask for your coat, give them your shirt too. Go, just let your response always be love, love, love. And look, this doesn't mean that there's not a time to fight. There's not a time to rebuke and cast out. There obviously is. But love is always a default, especially for those of us in, in the church. We should be rebuking each other. We should be loving each other. We can correct each other, but we should be loving each other. 
That is the thing that's supposed to testify to the world that we are his disciples. And look, I, at the end of the day, I can't help how you love me, but I can help how I love you. The greatest tactic of the enemy, I'm almost done. The greatest tactic of the enemy is, is in the church has always been to cause what? Division. Division. That, that, that's what he wants to do. He wants to divide. That's what, that's what he wants to do. I mean, you, you see it everywhere in the world. He wants to split up families. He wants to, he wants to uh, discount the, 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 the importance of the nuclear family. He wants to, he wants to just separate everything. He, and he brings that, that mission into the church. He wants to divide. That's always been his scene. His goal is to uh, divide because if he could divide, listen, if he could divide enough times, eventually you're going to be found alone. If he, can defy, if he can divide the leaders of the church and then he can divide the church. And then if he could divide the new leaders of the new church, he could divide the new church. And he could continue just keep on going. He's just going, 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 dividing, dividing, dividing until you are left alone with no one else. Because you've made everybody else an enemy in your life. You've casted out everybody from your life. Because they didn't agree with you. Because of a past. Because of history. Because of something that they did to you. Because of something that you said. Because, because of what they thought about you one time. Because they made an ugly comment about what you were wearing sometimes. And we're always dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing. And until we divide, we are by, we, we'll get to this moment we're by ourselves. And the Bible says that, that, that the enemy is like a lion. He goes around looking who he can devour. And if we are sheep and we are left alone because we have secluded ourselves so many times, we're going to be taken out. This is why I tell people all the time, I don't care how much you fall, come to church. Come to church. Not because the church can save you, but because we're all, we're all in this together. We're all searching and pursuing God together. And it's so hard to do that when you're by yourself. I don't care if it's a Saturday night and you got wasted and you got beat up and you got thrown in prison. If you get out by 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock, show up to church. Because when you allow yourself to be alone, that's when you'll get taken out by the enemy. That's his goal. I want to divide. I want to divide. Because he, when he divides, he conquers. I bet Satan, I'll call the worship team up. I bet Satan would have loved it if Jesus had told the disciples Judas was going to betray him. Oh, man, I bet, I don't think devil prays, but if he did, to, some, to someone, let this happen. Let this happen. I, w- I want, Jesus, I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them all the juice. Tell them all the juice. Tell them that Judas is the betrayer. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Because it would have caused a lot of emotion in the group. It would have caused a lot of violence among the disciples, especially Peter. It would have created chaos. It would have created drama, anger, and division. And I don't think that they would have only been mad at Judas. I think that they would have found a way to blame each other because that's what we do. We always just point the finger. And who let Judas in here anyway? 
And, and, and why didn't you identify the signs when you were with Judas all the time? And you were one of his closest friends, Andrew. Maybe you should have been more discerning and more aware. And we use all these spiritual words. It, it would have caused so much division had Jesus said it. And had the disciples been divided, they would have not been united in Acts chapter 2 when it says the disciples were what? Together. They were together. They were together in that room. They were united. They were of the same spirit. Had they been divided, the Holy Spirit would have not come into that room. Had the disciples not been together, there would be no unity of gospel when it was getting off the ground and when it was spreading to the nations. Had there not been unity, all there would have been was division and everybody would have their own version of the truth and eventually it would have died because Jesus meant his church to be one united front to call his bride. In order to get us to where we are today, Jesus had to love beyond betrayal. All it would have took was one, one moment of Jesus saying, it's, it's Judas, guys, it's Judas. In all chaos, in that early church of, of 11 holy men to cause division, that's all it would have been. Church, shame on us, man, for being so slow to forgive. Shame on us for holding on to hurt while at the same time hurting God. Do you know that the longer you, you hold on to bitterness, the longer you hold on to pride, the longer you can't heal. All, 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 while you're going through that, you're hurting God. You're hurting God because God wants to restore. Shame on us for not wanting to heal when we have the healer in our midst. I'll, I'll tell you this, church. I'll close with this. I've been a lifelong member of this church. Lifelong. 33 years old. I'm going to be 34 in a couple months. I was dedicated in this next door by my grandfather, Reverend Joe Salazar. And I grew up all my life telling myself I would never be a pastor. Never. My wife knows it. Never going to be a pastor. I'll come to church, but I don't want to get so involved with people because I have seen the hurt from a pastoral family. I have seen and heard rumors made up about my family, about my dad when we came back from, from Colorado and we were, you know, we were kind of outside of the will of God for a while. I, I, we came back to some rumors that were hurtful and that we could never confront. I have seen people hurt. I've seen my parents pouring into so many people just to have them leave without saying a word. I've seen the hypocrisy from many people in the church who preach one way, act one way in the church, say amen one way in the church, but live completely different. People in the church can be mean, they can be ugly, they can be hurtful, 
It can be judgmental all at the same time. The bride of Christ is a diva sometimes. She feels so entitled. She wants to be served. She's not always pure, but she pretends to be. The bride of Christ is so imperfect, and yet Jesus shed his own perfect blood so that he could spend eternity with her. And if the perfect God can do that for an imperfect church, how much more are imperfect people be able to do that for imperfect people? Jesus loves the church. And we are to love the church because by this, the world will know that we are his. If you need to heal, if you need to forgive, if you need to restore, do that. Do that. Do that. Don't let another day go by with walls of pride and walls of hurt and walls of jealousy and walls of anxiety. Don't let another day go by because Jesus lifted the entire veil to give himself to you. And we are called to love that way. We are, we're called to love beyond betrayal, church. And I want you to stand with me. And I want to invite you this morning, just a few moments, to come and have a moment, have a moment of healing. Have a moment of healing. Have a moment of searching. Have a moment of forgiveness. God is calling all that love out. He's calling that love out the way that you love some people. He wants you to love all people that way. He wants you to love without limitations. He wants you to love without reservations. And I believe once we do that, he will take us to new levels, new glories. As the worship team sings, I want to invite you this morning. These altars are open and I want you, I want you to come this morning and I want you to, if you need to heal, I want you to heal. This is a place of healing. And if you need prayer this morning, I'm going to ask that you come forward. The prayer team, help me. Holy Spirit, we need you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.